lovers, I'm your host, Brandy, and this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for Season 3, Episode 8, The Family Ambush, The Story of the Keeler Family. Welcome the man behind the music and the mic. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone. How are y'all doing today? Thank you for joining us on our episode. Yes, thank you for everyone who's out there joining us. Thank you, Chris. Um, All right, so coming up this Thursday, Chris, just two days away, we have our Zoom. That's true. Right? So um, we are going to discuss a Netflix series, The Innocent Man. So if you haven't binged it, go ahead. There's six episodes um, in The Innocent Man on Mm -hmm. Netflix, or they may have read the book John Grisham wrote. Yes. So John Grisham's actually in this documentary about The Innocent Man. So it's pretty good. So binge it. You guys join us. If you want to link to this free open forum discussion, all you need to do is text wine and crime to 85100 and you will receive the link uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. Yes. All right. We always send it out the day before. All right, guys. Well, if you want to help support the show and help keep the decanter full, you can buy us a glass of wine or a bottle. All you need to do is click on that Kofi link on our website. And when you contribute to the wine fund, we give you your own personal shout out. Everyone likes to hear their name, Everyone right? Everyone likes, loves to hear their name. <laughs> and then um, what else do we do for them? Uh, we give them a shout out. When you buy two or more glasses for us, we send you some cool Texas wine and true crime stickers. A little swag. Little swag. I know we uh, we've got some swag in the works too, so that that'll be coming up later this summer. So uh, thank you guys for your continued support. Um, special thanks to Honesty Kendall. Thank you, Honesty. Casey Gavassos. Thank you, Casey. Marisol Pesman. Thank you, Marisol. And Julianne Gaudet. And thank you, Julianne. <laughs> thank you, ladies, so much for your continued monthly support. Our hearts and decanter are full. And of course, if you enjoy the show, head over to Apple or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Click on those five stars, write a review, and don't forget to hit subscribe while you're there. Yes. So, um, Chris, I just want to say a big thanks to everyone out there who's actually written, took the time to write a review. Yes, that's very important. It is very important. And it means a lot. We learn from reviews, right? We take them and we absorb them and and take the good and and some of the bad and we just get better. All the bad. All the bad. So we like um, for you just to kind of tell us what you think of the show. So thank you again for everyone who took the time to do that. Okay, well, the wine for this week comes from our friends at Salado Winery. So, Chris, this is number wine number two Mm -hmm. that we are doing for our little trio coming out of Salado. We are sipping on a 2018 Loyal Blue, which is a 100% Tempranillo grapes grown in Temple, Texas. This is aged in medium toast American oak, plum and strawberries, along with graham crackers is what we're tasting for. So this wine label features a picture of the Blue Lacey, which happens to be the official dog breed of texas yes i didn't know that until i met june at slato winery yeah i think governor rick perry deemed them the uh national dog of texas oh he did yes i did not know that yeah i looked it up it is a beautiful dog and it's a beautiful label there at salado winery has the blue lacy on the front of this label uh so thank you again for june um we love you out there in salado now we've had this wine before chris yes. um but it's delicious it is so it, it's it's probably we said last night when we were talking about this wine because we've had it before that it's probably our favorite out of salado easily yeah, it's so good, and it's a, a beautifully red plum color. I love the color, and it just tastes really, really light. It's 
it's just really good. And if you've never, there's not a lot of people that have had Tempranillo, 100% Tempranillo grape wine. Yeah, you don't see it very often. No, you don't. Um, But it grows well here in Texas and it's right out of Temple. So guys, highly suggest this wine. And um, I know when I looked at the website, I didn't see it on there, which makes me think, because we bought this bottle when we were there. Yeah, so it it's makes been me some think. Time ago, yes. Yeah, and so they um they are they probably sold out. I mean, it's it's really good. Yes. Hopefully they'll be making more. June, make Don't some more. <laughs> we need it. We're going to stock up on this one. All right, Chris, are you ready to get into this week's case, the family ambush? I am ready. All right, friends, let's sip some wine and talk some crime. So we are heading to Dallas for this one. And as usual, Chris, we want to give everyone three facts about the city where our crime took place. All right. Number one, the Texas World Music Festival, known as the Texas Jam, played at the Cotton Bowl for 10 years from 1978 to 1988. Yes, I've been to a few of those, always in the hottest part of the summer. Okay, so I was going to ask you because you are um, very much into music and... 78 to 88, I was thinking, maybe you've gone. Maybe you've been there. I have not been to one. I have been. It was absolute death every time you'd go, but always uh, always some good music. But So was it like a one-day festival, or was this like a, t- a couple of days? No, it was one day. But I mean, oh. it was kind of like, I guess you'd say, uh, well, I mean, like a Lollapalooza kind of okay. sort of. But in the Cotton Bowl where everybody's like, I mean, just packed in. Okay, so I saw pictures. 100 degrees. Yeah. yeah ridiculous. It's crazy that everyone looks like just standing yeah, next to each other. I don't know. I mean, probably surprised people didn't die out there, but <laughs> it was always fun. Well, that was pretty cool. I didn't know that. So that was a cool fact. Uh, number two, the largest and longest running state fair is located in Dallas, right? So the state fair of Texas. Mm-hmm. It's coming back this year. We did not have it last year because of COVID. People are very excited that it is coming back this year. They are excited. They are excited. So uh, biggest state fair um, right here in Dallas. Number three, the Dallas Arts District is the largest urban arts district in the United States. Did you know that? I never knew that. That is really cool. I'm thinking, what am I missing down there? To be, I mean, it is cool, but maybe I haven't seen all of it. Maybe what I think is the arts district is actually much bigger. Yeah, it's bigger than Deep Ellum and stuff like that. Okay, so I definitely am missing some some pieces. So yeah. we should go check it out. But that's pretty cool. Didn't know that. Yes. All right. Just after noon on Sunday, July 12th, 1981, Bill and Anita Keeler walk into their home after finishing counting the Sunday collections from the Schreiber Memorial United Methodist Church. They're waiting in his bedroom with his father's Remington 1100 semi-automatic shotgun is 14-year-old David Keeler. As his parents enter the hallway leading to the bedrooms, they find David. After killing both of his parents, David rides his bike four miles north and tells an Addison police officer, quote, I just shot and killed my parents with a shotgun. Why would a seemingly happy 14-year-old kill his parents in cold blood? Well, let's find out. All right, Chris. So I actually had to ask some relatives about this case because we're talking 1981, not far from where we grew up. Um, And there's people that know about this. This was a pretty big case. It was a shocking case, and we're about to find out why. All right, so you've got a 14-year-old, 14-year-old David Keeler, holding a Remington rifle and shooting his 53-year-old father, Bill, and his 49-year-old mother, Anita. Both parents were very well known in North Dallas um, back in 1981. They had been married for 31 years. 
They had four children. So David was the youngest of the four. Bill Keeler was born in Brownwood, Texas. Um, he, all, he was also the president of ARCO, which is now owned by BP. Mm-hmm. But ARCO, I guess, was a really big oil company here in Dallas back in the 80s. Yeah, lots of oil companies were here back then. That was kind of, I don't want to say the height of the boom, but definitely would yeah. say that one of the peaks. Right. And so... He was okay. So I'm thinking to be president of an oil company, you have to be highly intelligent. He was an engineer. He probably got along well with people. People would say he was mild mannered. He was honest. So you have to be a certain kind of person to run an oil company, to be the president of an oil company, because we're going to find out, we're going to see that basically what David was talking about his dad and the way he was is very different than how people viewed Bill Keeler. Um, And most of the time when you're president of an oil company, you can handle conflicts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to be good at handling people. So, all right. Anita Keeler was very involved um, in the church. She sang in the choir. She was very devoted to her kids. So, Chris, this was a mom who drove her kids to all the baseball games. Um, she was at all the baseball games. She took them to church. The husband was said to even, he would get off the plane and go straight to the baseball field. So as I mentioned, he was the, David is the youngest of four. So, um, okay. So at the time their son was, okay. So their daughter, Barbara is 27. John is 25. Robert is 19. And then you have 14 year old David. So he's the only one living in the house at the time of this. Yes. The rest, the the top two, I think, have jobs in Dallas somewhere, and then the other one was a student at UT. So David is home, you know, living with the parents. Uh, David attended attended St. Mark's um, private school, which is an all boys prep school here in Dallas. Uh, a great school, a very expensive school. Very expensive. Very yes. expensive. Uh, he was an honor roll student, a great athlete. He played football. He played basketball. Uh, he had just helped out as a school counselor a month before the murders at a summer camp. He spent his time doing vacation Bible school. He was, he was always at the church. The head of the high school at the time at St. Mark said he was one of the best and the brightest. So we're talking about a very happy kid, a kid with lots of friends. He was a great athlete, an honor roll student. He worked at the church on his spare time. And actually one of the pastors that's that was at the churches where he volunteered with his mom, he said, quote, I don't suppose any teenager is around the church more than he is. And I thought that was kind of interesting to say. Yeah. Like just oh, yeah. I mean, that's what makes it so unexpected, this whole tale. I know. I mean he spent a lot of time um faith and things. So, I mean, that, that was really, really important to him. So we have this boy that is described by family and friends, you know, as I said, caring, hardworking, busy. So what in the heck happened? You know, what happened? So as with all murder investigations, um, people out there listening, they know detectives are going to want to find out, you know, what is going on with this family in the last 24 hours? Uh, usually when police can backtrack the timeline, um, there are usually some clues on what happened to the victims. Okay. So Bill and Anita Keeler and Chris, what they'll find out will actually paint a very clear picture on what exactly happened um, to this couple. So the day before the murders, David Keeler and a few friends were actually spending the day at Six Flags over Texas. 
So I know some people listening aren't from Texas, but that's like a big amusement park, Six Flags, right? Oh, yeah. Water rides, roller coasters, a big summer spot. I mean, I remember being a teenager and running off to Six Flags with my friends. Yeah, the season pass. Season pass. That was a very pop, still is a very popular thing. Um, so I was also thinking how, the just side note, how expensive Six Flags is now compared to what it used to be. Yeah, it used to cost nothing to get in. I mean, I remember spending like $25 to get into that. If that, 20 bucks. It's like $74 a ticket now. Oh, I know. It's crazy. I was, I mean, I th- I remember looking up at regular price. I'm like, does that say like $79.99? It's just incredible. But, you know, they've got to keep up with their demand too keep at Six Flags. Going, yeah. <laughs> keep all that safety gear. All right. So Six Flags. We've got some memories there, Chris. Um, but they're a fun time. So he's there with three friends. And they're having a good time, but they do something and then trouble starts. So David and his buddies are stopped by security because they're actually caught cutting through a line um, at Six Flags which is a big no-no. They won't really ask you to like go in the back of the line. They'll basically like kick you out of the park, I read. Yes. So you can't be cutting in line. They don't want to mess with that. People can get in fights. and It's summer. It's hot. People are waiting in long lines. It's just, you just can't do that. Okay. So they're talking to the boys and they realize that they've got like bags of souvenirs with them. And they find these kids kind of young to be able to have that much money on them to buy everything that they have. So they actually end up telling them that they shoplifted the stuff from the souvenir stores right out of Six Flags. Well, they probably all had the money to buy whatever they wanted, you know. Exactly. And I was having this conversation the other day with somebody about shoplifting. To me, that's just attention. I mean, or the thrill. Or the thrill of it to get away with it. Or, I mean, that's because most people have the money, depending on what it is. Most, I would say, I don't know. I'm not going to say that most teenagers have the money to buy stuff, but they shoplift anyway. But I'm just saying, like, usually if kids are doing something like this, like they were at Six Flags that day, thrill, boredom, I don't know. What do you call it? Exactly. (laughs) I don't know what you call it, but yes, they probably had the money to buy it. Okay. So now they find out that they've been shoplifting. So they call Anita Keeler at 9 p.m. explaining what the boys had done. And about an hour later, Bill Keeler goes to Six Flags, picks them all up, drops the boys off, and then he goes home. So this was David's first and only run-in with authorities before the murders actually take place the very next day. And now it's time for a wine recess. Wine recess. Okay, we know the wine's great. Thank you, June, for making Loyal Blue. It's delicious. But I want to talk about this dish you made. Sure. Tell everyone what it was, because it was different and delicious. So I paired um, paired the wine with some... Kind of a well, one dish is certainly South Americans, a Peruvian dish. It's called Lomo Saltado, and so it's kind of akin to uh, they're very famous for it in, in Peru, and it's kind of likened to how ceviche is one of their big famous dishes for fish. And the Lomo Saltado is kind of what they're known for down there, and so okay, like a beef, they're it's like a known beef dish, yes, okay, absolutely. And so, um I was kind of looking at some of the origins I wasn't aware. I actually got turned on to this dish by my dear friend, Dr. Jeffrey Browning, who sent it to me one time. So we've had it once before, but it was so good. But it is 
there's a very large Asian influence in Peru. So I guess late 1800s, a lot of Chinese immigrants um, kind of migrated there or whatever and settled. And so it's actually kind of a stir-fried dish. They took yes. some of the local fare and kind of made, uh, which usually happens with any uh, culture that comes to another country or something like that. They kind of bring their own stuff along with whatever the culture that's kind of. My pre- favorite present. part of London. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but it's, um, so yes, I, I made that and we'll certainly provide the recipe. Brandy's going to post some pictures. And then in yes. addition to that, I did make kind of a take, a Latin take on a caprese salad with some Moroccan cheese and uh, cucumbers and tomatoes and red onion. It and, was good. It was real good. <laughs> and then we threw some stuffed um, pepidus in there, which have zero to do with any sort of Latin American. I'm like, flair, are these? Well, I said, were, are these they stuffed the tomatoes? <laughs> He's yeah. like, that's not They're a tomato. Actually South African. So, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think it came out nice. It was wonderful. And your sauce, it's beautiful. This green oh, yes, color. The, uh, ahi, ahi sauce. Yes. Guys, you're gonna want this recipe. I will post pictures. Um, because everyone should be trying to. Whip it's got a few up. carbs, that's for sure. But you know, every now and then so you can good. indulge. Oh, it's definitely comfort food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt sure. about it. It's it's good. Yeah, it'll put you to sleep after you. Eat. <laughs> it will. Well, thank you. It was delicious. And guys, if you want that recipe, just email us at team at texaswineandtruecrime dot com, and we will get that over to you. All right, Chris, you ready to get back in the case? Yes, I'm All ready. Right, let's do it. Okay. Since um, okay, so I was thinking about this, Chris. Right, we're both parents. So let's just kind of think about the scenario for a second that we just talked about. I think we can kind of put ourselves in both Bill and David's place, right? Since we were kids once too. And, you know, we weren't perfect, right? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really steal anything. but Right. But but we were kids. And our parents got upset with us, right? When we would do something that they didn't approve of. So, okay, as a dad, you get a call from Six Flags. Telling you that your kid and his buddies were shoplifting items um, from the souvenir shops. So I like to think that we're pretty mild-mannered people. So I kind of want to put myself in Bill Keeler's place. So people would say he's friendly, mild-mannered. Um, he picks them, the boys up, uh, drops the boys off, and he. we will never know what that conversation was between him and David on the way home, or even really what it was that the morning um, of the murders. But... Uh, I think we would be even a little upset, even if we were mild-mannered people, right? I mean, well, you're... to say the least, yes. Yeah, so, so I don't think it was abnormal for him to be a little heated if there was any sort of confrontation, because this is basically what would what will David will say later in court was just about this argument, right? And um, there, there's more to it. But so we're talking early, you know, early 80s. These people are very religious. Their kid had never been in trouble with authorities before. Um, but I, I think that maybe Bill probably was a little upset and David, um, you know, had never been in trouble and he was kind of all this model kid. So maybe that played into a little bit about um, what happened to this guy. True. Okay, so um, as we've heard, so David basically says that his father's upset with him. Okay, this is what he tells the Addison police officer. So remember I mentioned earlier, after committing the murder, he rides his bike four miles north. He sees this Addison police officer. His name is Lee Walden. So Lee is sitting in his car doing um, probably speeding tickets of some sort. That would be Addison, yes. That would be Addison. And he, this kid pulls up, he says, like on his bike, just in a shorts and a t-shirt. 
knocks like, well, doesn't knock on the window, but he stands there. The officer rolls down the window and he's like, how can I help you? Is there something I help you with? And he basically says, I just shot my parents with a shotgun. And then mentions to the officer, he probably said, well, why? Why did you do that? You know, what happened? And he said, well, my dad was mad at me. So those were the next words to the officer. So police believe the first shots were at Bill Keeler. He was hit in the chest once and he was hit in the neck once. Then David had to go and reload. Anita Keeler was hit with one shot. Then David had to reload a second time and fired one more shot at her. Uh, he fled the house. He left the weapon behind and also seven shell casings behind. David was 14 years old at the time, um, so he could not be tried as an adult for the two murders. Uh, he waived his right to a jury trial and confessed to killing his parents. So they basically what they did, um, there were several psychologists and psychi- uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. I think they said there were six or seven of them that actually testified during um, this this whole trial. Basically, listen to this. So they testify that David suffered from an emotional disorder. So some of the things they mentioned was that, first of all, his IQ was 130. This kid is no dummy. Mm -hmm. Smart. He was an outstanding student, a great athlete, but he did not have the ability to process criticism. And I put criticism in bold because I I hate criticism and if you've never listened to the book by dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people others anyways dale carnegie he talks about criticizing he talks about how you'll never get anything out of anyone if you're criticizing them it's better to approach them with what they're 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 doing right rather than telling them what they're not doing and it beats you down and it beats you down and i'm a and i i don't like criticism as you can tell, I just got a little. Don't shoot me. <laughs> David told the court his parents constantly criticized his behavior. He told them they always found something wrong with everything. He said they criticized his honor roll grades, that he could always work harder at his sports, and even criticized the length of his hair. So, Chris, at the hearing, it was determined that the final argument and the reason he shot his parents was over the length of his hair. Hmm. I thought it was there with the Six Flags were doing. I think it was just all of it. Yeah, all they of call it. it. They called it like his breaking point, hmm. is what the therapist testified to. And I'm not really coming at this from a, um, you know, I'm not a professional psychiatrist or psychologist. Um, and <laughs> I'm not. I well, know that's hard to believe. Hard to believe. <laughs> I yeah. do give great advice, but, but, um. You know, it's like nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. I always say that. Nobody knows, right? And he may say he was criticized, but then one of the therapists said, Bill and Anita Keeler were probably no different with him than any other parent with their child. This this child just could not process the ability to take criticism. To what length they did that to him and made him feel, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that. Any- I mean, we'll never know. Um, but it, it was, so he did admit the breaking point was the final conversation about the length of his hair. Uh, David told the court he shot his parents several times with a rifle because, quote, they kept getting up. So he shot him, didn't stay down. He shot him again. Mm-hmm. I think Anita was hitting the abdomen the first time. Um, 
But, you know, that's what you do. You're going to get up and fight for your life. All right. Although psychiatrists said David Kuehler was legally sane when he shot his parents, they said he has since suffered severe emotional distress and recommended he be sent to a mental health hospital for treatment. Okay, so he's 14 years old. He's not being tried as an adult. This is 1981. Um, And that is exactly what the court decided to do. David served his time at the private Timberlawn Psychiatric Hospital right here in Dallas. Chris, this facility, so of course I look this up because I am fascinated with psychiatric hospitals, especially old ones that have history. I think I'm probably even going to do an episode on this place. But listen, they closed. I have done a nursing clinical rotation there myself. You did? Oh, we're definitely doing this because listen to this. This place closed in 2018. Okay. I looked it up. This facility closed because they were basically like the city was basically threatening them if like to close for inhumane treatment and unsanitary conditions. It had been open since 1917. So it was just over 100 years old when it closed. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, it's right off of him. 635. It's not far. So yeah, it's not far from us. I, I found it. But listen, it gets a little crazier here. I found a few articles about this place. And so here are a few of the titles of these articles. Surviving Timberlawn. Timberlawn was sanitarium human salvage factory. House of horrors. According to the Texas Historical Association, Timberlawn was the oldest private psychiatric facility in the state of Texas. Hmm. So then I came across a blog, which is titled Surviving Timberlawn. A woman is telling her story of being committed and held against her will. She was hoping people that were at Timberlawn from 1980 to 1990 would come forward and share their stories. So this is when David was serving his time there. Then, so this is good. That's going to get weird. Then I read it an article that was written back in 1985 when he was supposed to be released, right? He was four, four years. He was going to be 18. And there was a statement made by a therapist from Timberlawn that basically said he will most likely continue to stay there and continue his treatment, that he would have enough funds from the estate to get the continued help he needs. Oh, yeah. They were getting paid. I mean... You know, that's that's big business, private insurance company. I mean, but it's incredible. So, I mean, now now I find this blog. It's about a woman who feels like she was falsely committed and made to stay there to collect money. Right. Um, And so she's asking for people to come forward. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. That's crazy. It is crazy. But um, interesting. So was he better? Did he need to continue treatment? Was this? You know, was it bad practice? Were they just trying to, like you said, keep trying to keep them there because that's money, right? This is a paid. And guys, this this isn't like um, a hospital. This is a mansion. This is not even a like. This doesn't look like a hospital. I don't want to say mansion, but yeah, I mean it's nice for. But I mean, it looks like an old house. Like it was. Well, there's there's lots of wing. I mean, probably in 1980, but there's different wings of it as well. Oh yeah, of Timberlawn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so okay. So here's so in 2019, the hospital was torn down. Um, the city of Dallas actually tried to save this establishment for like 
as a, like a historical landmark, mm-hmm. this hospital, because it was built so long ago and they wanted to keep the property and they tore, they tore it all down. So city of Dallas, like all of a sudden they're like, wait, why, why is it being torn down? So they, it was, it's gone now. Hide the evidence. Hide the evidence. Right. All right. So the Keeler's estate um, was estimated at $1.2 million at the time of their death. So as I mentioned, David had three older siblings. Well, Chris, after this, they wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. In fact, I don't even think they saw or spoke to him again after this happened. Um, the court did decide, though, with an agreement from the siblings that David would actually get a piece of this estate they didn't want him becoming a ward of the state mm-hmm. and also that he would be able to go and graduate high school and um, and go, you know, go to college and do something with his life. So I did read that he had applied for college, but it did not say where. David Keeler would be 54 years old today. Whereabouts unknown. Chris, that concludes season three, episode eight. You can find pictures related to this show on Instagram and Facebook at Texas Wine and True Crime. So this is a crazy one. It's kind of crazy, especially just his age and just kind of walked away. I mean, I almost say scot-free because whatever mental, um, you know, aspects he's hanging around his shoulders right. or weighing on his shoulders, all this. But I mean, it's... Um, I think it'd be different if this happened like in this day and age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, remember we spoke about um, there was another case. Oh, it was um, the two children that killed their mother, right, with the boyfriend. So when he he was a minor, but when he turned 18, they took him back to court and said, you have to serve the rest of your time. Right. So but this is 81. And I also want to say back in 81, um, anxiety, depression, Things along those lines may not have been as diagnosed as they are today. No. Kids were meant to be seen, not heard. Right. So I think there's, like I said, you know, this is a horrible, these people were really loved. Um, You know, he orphaned his three siblings. Um, He just, you know, he hurt a lot of people. And um, it's just a really sad case of was there something that he needed and just didn't get, and you know, I don't know. Wasn't maybe parents' love wasn't enough. I I don't know. It's really hard to say when you just don't know what was going on behind closed doors, which we never do. So true. All right, are you ready to review the wine and cork it? Absolutely, fantastic. Um, what do you think? I'm going to let you do this one. I did the one last week. Well, I've had it before. It's one of my favorites. Um. Absolutely love this wine. It's very, it's, it's light. It's a little bit dry. Um, you know, I was thinking, I mean, almost the color, I, the color reminds me of like a really like a very aged brandy. It kind of has that little vibe to it, in my yeah. opinion. Not, you know, even when I he, like look at wines and the tasting notes, sometimes I taste those things. But I mean, I just, uh, yeah, this is just very good. It's so good. Yeah. You could probably drink it with, Anything. <laughs> I, mean, I guess. I mean, we went with a obviously a beef being a red wine, but I mean, it's it seems like it's light, especially with summertime coming on coming yeah. around. But I mean, it's yeah, I love it. It's my favorite from them. 
I mean, but it's a hot outside right now, right? I mean, it's summer and it's so, it's just so light. Yeah, it's, it's just really, really easy to drink. In my I think opinion. that's what it is. Yeah. It's just really easy to drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So what are you going to cork it? A five. Oh, yes. five Always. corks. Yeah. I agree. Well, it's our it's our absolute favorite. Yeah. And we have a lot of favorites here. But this is probably our favorite. Yeah. Get you some loyal blue. Yes. Salida Winery ships anywhere in Texas. And you can find the perfect wine, whether you enjoy a dry, you know, a sweet, a red, or a white. Um, they carry something for everyone. So go check out our friends at SalidoWinery.com. All right, Chris. Well, each week we highlight an organization that just inspires us to be givers and just better people in general. And Chris, since this is summertime and we know that a lot of children in in the Dallas area get their meals when they are at school. So um, I've done this one before, but I think it's time to shine light back on the North Texas Food Bank and talk about feeding the kids program. Um, The what they do is they really just want to make sure kids are being fed in the summer. Yeah, because a lot of kids are home you know, by themselves and stuff. Yeah. Parents work. That's right. Um, and when, so I read a statistic that kids normally get their breakfast and lunch from school who, and, and one out of five kids will go home and not have dinner. Yeah. Um, which sucks. I don't, uh, this is, a, this is really close to my heart. North Texas Food Bank. Um, I give money every month and we get to feed 150 families a month with our donation and it's very small and that is a huge deal so the littlest amount helps and if we can collectively get together and just you know i mean i'm not even kidding like a buck or two five dollars i mean that's one starbucks run right Mm -hmm. i mean that could feed that could feed a lot of kids. So um, through their child programs, they work with schools and social service programs in 13 county service area here in Texas to distribute and serve nutritious foods to kids that are in need throughout the school year and especially, especially during the summer months. So they um, serve throughout the school year, but up to 11,000 chronically hungry children, Chris, they are feeding each week. Yeah, 11,000. That's a lot. Uh, so the smallest of donations helps you guys. I'm very passionate about this one. Um, you can learn more about volunteering, donating, whatever um, whatever time or money you are willing to give. You can check them out at ntfb.org. Okay, Chris. Well, I wanted to let our listeners know that we will not have an episode out next week. I'm giving us a week off. Giving us a week off. <laughs> Happy summer. How rare is that? (laughs) Friends, we will be back with a new episode. Um, I guess that would be what? July 6th? No. No, 10th or 11th. Right? When is 4th of July? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. July 6th. Well, yeah. Yeah. July 6th. Two weeks? Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was just anyways. I don't know, guys. We'll just have a new episode out when you see it. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. All right, friends. Until we meet again, stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers. Cheers.